Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Howdy and welcome to the only daily Premier League podcast around. We are Football Social Daily and even though there is a lack of Premier League action at the moment with the focus on the World Cup qualifiers and the Nations League final, there is still no shortage of talking points on today's daily wrap. Of course, as with their namesakes, it's the Magpies grabbing all that glitters right now and their fair share of headlines as well as Newcastle fans dream of what their multi-billion pound owners might bring to the club but do they need to be a little bit patient? We'll look at some of the names being linked with a move to St James's Park, both on the pitch and in the dugout shortly. And today, we're going to take a steer from you and answer your questions that have come in via social media. Those questions mean we'll be chatting Mbappe's offside, Rick Parry's plans for the EFL, and former Arsenal heroes that could be heading back to North London. As always, if you have a question for the podcast, you can find us on Twitter, at The Sports Social, or just search The Sports Social on Facebook, Instagram, and all the usual places. Although, if the Newcastle takeover is leaving you a little bit green right now, you might want to avoid our social media channels because they're run by a very excitable Marley Anderson, who is on today's <laughs> podcast. How you doing, Marley? Uh, yeah, not bad. Not bad. Just uh, collating the list of players we're going to sign this uh, this January. I've got to say, the Sports Social Twitter account is looking a little bit like a Newcastle fan account at the moment. It's all that's going on, though, isn't it, to be fair? In your world. The the logo's black and white as well. (laughs) (laughs) More than before. Marley's changed it. And that other voice you heard there is Niall McCorn. How are you doing, Niall? I'm very well, boys. Good to speak to you again. Good. Let's get it out of the way. I'll be honest with you, I've avoided being in a room with Marley since the takeover was announced. But here we are. What, discuss no days we've been in the office since. <laughs> when was it announced? Was it Thursday? Uh, no, it was Wednesday night. Wednesday, like a, 6 o'clock. It feels like a long few days, that. But the dust is beginning to settle now on the whirlwind that is Newcastle United. The announcement was, as Marley says, five days ago now. And we're beginning to get a bit of a steer on what the future might look like. And let's start off with the manager's that are being linked with a potential move to Newcastle because I think we're all in agreement that Steve Bruce's days are numbered 
it's amazing he's still there, to be fair. And a few of the managers that are being lined up to replace him, names that are being linked with the job, Brendan Rodgers, Stephen Gerrard and Lucien Favre, the ex-Dortmund boss. Who would you like from that trio of options, Marley, if you could pick one? Or do you want Bruce to stay? <laughs> Any of them. Not, 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 not that bothered. When you've had Bruce, literally anyone. Um, I don't know. Of the three, probably Lucien Favre, because he's out of work, so he's easier to sign than, mm. than Gerard or, or, well, particularly Rogers. I can't see him leaving Leicester. I don't see what what the attraction is that he hasn't got at Leicester. Like he's got ambition. Okay, he's got he might have like unlimited money if he comes to Newcastle um by the time the summer rolls around, but still, like he's doing a good thing at Leicester. They're still progressing. He might have felt like he's hit a ceiling, maybe. That could be the only thing that might attract him, but still you might hit that ceiling with, with Newcastle as well because the, the top four's, you know, so hard to break into that it might be five or six years of trying before you break that top mm. four. You never know. Um, so of the three of them, Gerard, I like Gerard, but there's always that thing of when, whenever Liverpool come knocking, he's going to go there. So, you know, he could do well with Newcastle for two years. Klopp could go back to Germany or onto his next challenge and he'll, he'll go, go straight to Liverpool. He'll never be able to turn that job down. Um, so of the three of them, Lucien Favre is, is experienced, out of work. Um, he's got a good track record. He's managed big clubs, big players in the past. He's got pulling power, um, so he's probably a good a good starting point. And then when he gets the ball rolling, you know, after a couple of years, if if money's being spent and players are being signed that are that are good enough, you can go and get a, a proper like a list manager. Mm-hmm. Like you know, all the tabloids are, are getting the fix out of uh, Conte at the minute and Zidane and people are. It's just 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 for clicks really right now because. You know, Zidane's not tripping over himself to come and try and teach Federico Fernandez how to defend, you know what I mean? So that's a bit too far now, but, you know, down the line maybe, but, you know, not not right now. Is that who Newcastle are looking for, Niall, in your opinion? Are they, are they looking for that stopgap manager, that Sven-Goran Eriksson, that Manuel Pellegrini, <laughs> rather than someone who can come in and kind of go, right, this is the vision, this is the project, this is the future? No, actually, I think they will be looking for someone who can take charge for a couple of years. I think it's remarkable, first of all, that we're talking about a manager who hasn't been sacked yet. I think we all, as you said at the top of the show, feel it's inevitable that Steve Bruce isn't going to be the manager of Newcastle probably by the end of the month, let mm. alone the end of the season. So end of the day. <laughs> I'd, I'd be staggered if he wasn't. If he was still here by Wednesday morning, I'd be absolutely staggered. Yeah, well, Amanda Staveley, who's the sort of head of this consortium backed by the Saudis that took over Newcastle, I think she was speaking to a fan in the car park, actually, after the takeover was completed. And she said, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do a full audit of the business. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, she called it a business and football operations now for Newcastle have to be top of the list. Mm. And part of the reason why Newcastle on the pitch haven't been so good in recent years is because of the, I won't even say stringent investment from Mike Ashley. It's been... You know, very, very bare in terms of the levels of investment required to be competitive in the Premier League. And actually, in terms of managers coming in, let's just say Steve Bruce is given his marching orders. It's still the same team and it will be until January. So whoever does come in has got work to do. But I think and there's always been a belief that whoever, like a different manager could get more out of that I Newcastle agree. team. I totally agree. Oh, yeah. But I, I'm also in the same camp as Marley. 
There's no chance Newcastle get Brendan Rodgers. I just can't see that at all. Why would he leave Leicester, as Marley says? They're in Europe at the moment. Mm. They finished fifth the last two seasons. They won the FA Cup. They've improved gradually under his stewardship. They've had a bad start to the season, but they've got a new training ground. There's a project there. At the moment, we don't quite know what the Newcastle project is. I think we have an idea, and Amanda Stavely said some comments about where she wants the team to be in five, ten years, Champions League, European football, that sort of thing. But the immediate challenge for Newcastle is to stay up. And I think they will. I think they probably would have done under under Steve Bruce, to be fair, with the players they've got if they can keep them fit. But, you know, the, the chances they've got of, of kind of increasing their likelihood of staying up is probably through a change of manager. Steven Gerrard, I think, again, I think he's doing too well at Rangers to sacrifice what he's got there to go down to Newcastle. And ultimately, that is the is the first hurdle for that club is is to get some results, get yeah. out of the relegation zone. The feel good factors they're off the pitch. No worries about are we going to be able to sign and strengthen in January? I don't think there's any problems there anymore. I just think it's can they just get to the end of the season, mid table Premier League finish, and then next season and the summer start to think ahead. And and Lucien Favre is, is a good fit. I think Marley's mentioned Eddie Howe as well, who is out of work, and I think he has proven like, that he can like take a, a project. We're almost a bit too ambitious for him now. You know what I mean? Like, if in the old days of the old, you know, um, chairman and owners, I feel like that would be the best we can get. But now, they're almost, like, too ambitious. Like, they won't look at Eddie Howe and go, he's definitely Too the big for Eddie Howe, are you yeah. now, Marley? <laughs> and it's, uh, it's sad as well, because he's, he's a quality manager. He could definitely yeah. get more out of the squad than uh, we're giving. But who... You know, when you get to the summer and you're trying to sign big, big players, mm. are they going to come and work for Eddie Howe? Maybe not. That's a good point. And actually, I'm thinking here about the differences between what we call a manager and a head coach. Mm. Now, I'd say Steve Bruce was a manager. I wouldn't say he was a particularly accomplished coach, in my I'd personal opinion. Word than that. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Eddie Howe, I'd say, is more of a head coach than a manager. Mm. I think Eddie Howe... His philosophy is get them on the training ground and coach them within an inch of their lives. Which I think is more the modern way, isn't I it? Do. I do. Because the management Graham... of a football club yeah. comes to your director of football or whoever it is, and Newcastle are looking to bring in a director of football as well. Precisely. And Graham Potter's a good example at Brighton, and we've mentioned him a couple of times on the show already this season. And I would say he was more of a head coach than a manager. And yeah, like you say, Jim, coaching is so important, and maybe that's just what these players need, because I think everyone's in agreement that... Part of the reason why Newcastle aren't doing so well is because there's just been this grey cloud over the club for however many years. The fans don't like Bruce. The players know that. I mean, people that think the players don't feel the fact that the fans don't like the ownership and don't like the manager, mm. that's that's baffling to me. Of course the players know. The players read social media. They see tweets. They see all of this stuff. They know that the fans don't like the manager. Now they've got new ownership. There's a feel-good factor about the fans again. St. James's Park be absolutely bouncing after the international break. And that will reflect on the players. And you'd think that the performances would be increased because with the quality of the squad they've got, which isn't the best, but is better than Norwich and better than Watford and better than a couple of other teams, I'd say probably better than Southampton and some other sides as well down there, mm. I think that... Newcastle should be fine, and they probably will be. Um, but in terms of who they get in, I've no idea, really. Well, the managers will have to wait and see. I think we've covered off the main contenders there. A few players also being linked with a move. There'll be a longer wait there, obviously, as well, because the transfer window doesn't open till January. But according to the gossip columns today, there is a... What, what's four? Like triplets or three? Is it quad... Triplets? Yeah, but... Oh, What's uh, four? Quad. quad. Yeah. Oh, quad. quad anyway, yeah. four players potentially coming from Manchester United Quadruple. to Newcastle. Four kind of 
fringe players, I guess you'd Which describe Which paper them. does this come from, Jim? Uh, do you know what? I'll look whilst we discuss it. I'll have a look in the section <laughs> because it's not Mbappe, certainly, that's being linked. Jesse Lingard, Eric Bay, Anthony Martial and Ronnie van der Beek all being potentially linked with a move to Newcastle United. They're probably not the players that you dreamt of, Marley. But is, Ronnie, time... is Ronnie van der Beek Donny van der Beek? Sorry. <laughs> I'm going bl- to blame the paper that <laughs> I'm getting these facts from. Um, I mean, they're not, they're not the players you would have dreamed of, Marley, but at the same time, they're probably improvements on who you've got. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of players around the top end of the Premier League who are fringe players that can easily be bought and given a platform to sort of go off. Like Lingard's almost a perfect um, player. Like he, he took the step away from Man United to West Ham, the slight step down, and was the main man and was in was almost in the England Euro squad. Probably should have been on on form. Mm. So. You know, if he gets to the end of this season, he's doing okay now. He's you know he's getting sub appearances and things like that. But you know, could you could you attract him at the end of the summer? Um, at, sorry, the beginning of the summer when you got you know promises of new players and, and you know a new beginning and all the rest of it. Yeah, prob- you probably could. Um, Van der Beek would he would take anywhere right now where there's minutes for him. Um, again, we've got the money, we've got the um, the platform for Van der Beek. I think. Um, he probably just wants to prove himself. He, he might want to go. I don't think he want to go back to Holland because he knows he can do it there. So, you know, he's still got to go to a, a top league somewhere. And if he can stay in the Premier League and, you know, get minutes and, and progress his career, then I don't see why not um, with, with that move. Um, Bailly and Martial are more just because they're fringe players and they're pulling the clicks from Man United, I, I would suggest. But yeah. like Martial's just one of the... I, I don't know why you would go for Martial as the first player of a new sort of generation of, of players because he's one of the laziest players. He's talented, but he's lazy. You don't mm. build a team around Anthony Martial. He's not good enough to build a team around and carry him. He's not He's not mm. that good. Um, so I know he's like, obviously he's better than what we've got now. So I'm not like being like, oh, we're too good for Martial, but... He's not the he's not the type of player you build a, build a squad around. It just, I don't know, but it 100% feels like the type of player that yeah. a club gets when they come into money, like someone who's got potential, got a bit of star factor, yeah. mm. it, it it just fits in my head that. Daily Mirror, by the way, is It'll, used for part, publishing this story. Well, in terms of these Manchester United players, right? Marley's right. Jesse Lingard is the obvious one because he's refused a new contract at Manchester United recently. Mm. He's mm. out of contract in the summer, which means he can start talking to teams from January. And if they do sign him in January in Newcastle, they'll get him for a decent price. Mm. And I'd say a decent price for Lingard is anything sub 20 million probably. And, you know, you're buying him from Manchester United, who are a club that are going to try and squeeze as much cash as possible um, out of these deals. Eric Bailly signed a new contract only a few months ago. So I can't imagine... Even if he is sold, it would be for anything, yeah, around less than 30, I think, probably with the contract he's in. Martial's contracted until 2024, and United have got an abundance of forward players, I'd argue, but also I still think you're looking at... uh, Everyone knows Newcastle has money now. Mm. You know, that's the issue they're going to face. It's not an issue because they have so much of it, but in terms of the prices that they're going to be charged for these players... We're assuming, and there is a big assumption, that the new... 
Newcastle owners are willing to just plough as much money as possible I into don't the think club. They, I we think it's going to be slow and steady, yeah. I think, is the message. Yeah, but, you know, not, slow and steady yeah. in the Premier League, five years is slow and steady, isn't it? Because th- yeah. that's the thirst of fans and the thirst of the game that we see now in terms of success. And it has to be slower and steadier now because of things like FFP are going to control well, that spending. FFP. Yeah, so, but apparently like there's there's 190 million before we can get in like if before, before we can cross FFP like yeah. there's 190 million in January so almost one of the good things about Ashley being in charge for the last five years is he's spent nothing he's prepared perfectly yeah he's al- he's al- it's almost the blueprint for a takeover like yeah. you know what what debts have we got not much um, the club's pretty level isn't it yeah what mm. F- what FFP regulations have we got to buy by well none because he hasn't spent out so you know the only outlay he's had is is um, Joe Linton and St Maximum for like sixty million, but I think that's mostly been offset mm. yeah. by you know the 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 player sales and the profits he's made with the club. So I saw something that Ashley said, Marley. I don't know if you agree with it. He said that you know he basically I, I don't I don't want to misquote him, but kind of paraphrasing, he said that I'm happy that we managed to get obviously the deal over the line. He's mm. obviously happy because he gets his three hundred million, mm-hmm. but he he almost thanked the Newcastle fans for their patience, and he just said, "I'm glad that you were able to kind of." see eye to eye with me in the point that Ashley was trying to sell the club for ages. Mm, yeah, He was trying to sell the club for ages. And I don't think he wanted to sell the club to, to any old person. I think that he wanted someone who knew he knew was going to yeah. get his 300 million for. And actually it was kind of a thank you but goodbye sort of thing. And it, it was a no hard feelings kind of message from Mike Ashley. And I think he knows that they didn't like him. I think he knows that. But I don't think he really cared. No. And yeah, so it's kind well, of a... ultimately he's not going to play. He, he didn't want to, as you say, he wanted to sell the football club. He didn't want to own the football club, and so he's not going to be ploughing loads of his own cash into this no. thing. Cause we, it's very difficult to make money from a football club. Mm. Yeah, oh, hundred percent. I mean, but do you remember? I can't remember when this was. Probably, probably going back two years when we first started doing this podcast. When we were talking about Ashley, or I don't know what he'd done at whatever whatever point, but I was I was saying that. Like as a businessman, you you can respect him, and and there's so much more. Like even though I can't stand him because he's running the football club in like a business, which is mm. not the way to do way it. Like, it's not the way fans want to see it run. It probably yeah. is the way to do it, but everyone needs to do it the same way in well, order yeah, to make but, a level playing field. Well, yeah, but if you run it like that, all you do is go backwards as a club. So, but he can't he can't see that. He doesn't understand football enough to go to know that if you stay still, you go backwards because other teams get better. Well, like, that's what he I never mean. understood. If that. it was a level playing field, if every football yeah, club was run as a business, exactly, that, that would be the logical way to run a football club. I mean, yeah, and then you look at you know Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man United, they're loaded and saddled with debt, and that's almost unfair but football is unfair so mm. yep. you know um, it's pay to win and, and everything is in life like life is pay to win the more money you've got the more successful you are the better car you drive you know mm. you get better women looking at you down the street and all the rest <laughs> of it you know what I mean so it's just one of them things where like even though Ashley I never liked him I always, lo- um, I always thought we could be in a much worse position because you look at you know you look at clubs like Berry. you look yep. at you look at clubs that have gone out of business. You look at you remember Angie Makachkala in Russia, mm-hmm. who came in just splooged a load of money on a load of players, um, and then the owner got bored and just pulled all the funding out and went right, I'm off. And now they're in, I think they're in Russian Division Two now. Mm. Um, so things can happen like that that are worse. Look at Derby for Christ's sake. I mean, ironically, Mike Ashley is now linked with taking over Derby. I was going to ask yeah. you about that. Actually. Yeah, because. But- that, I mean, that, is that not good for Derby? Well, I don't know. Do you not it? need At the him moment, they're in administration. It's yeah. very good for Derby. It, it, they well, need someone to so take them out of the debt. He's just thinking, I can make a profit off them in five years' time. Mm. And would Derby fans take that right now? Maybe. 
if he can probably. get them, if he can get them into the Premier League again, yeah, and he can Maybe. make them a like an attractive proposition for Maybe. another well, buyer. I, but I'd say it's I've... easier to get to the Premier League than from the Championship than to get from the bottom half of the Premier League to the top four. But I think we're missing the point massively here, <laughs> and I know we're going off on a tangent when it comes to Derby. But the fact that Mike Ashley, who has been criticised immensely for the job he did as Newcastle owner, is now considered as this knight in shining armour for Derby <laughs> County. I think we need to start looking... Exactly. That just shows you how bad the problems are at Derby and how have the EFL and the Premier League, to an extent, allowed another football club to get into this situation. Mm. Mm. Every single year, it's a different club. If it's not my team, Portsmouth, it's... Bolton, it's Berry, it's now Derby County, Sheffield Wednesday, Birmingham. The list is endless. It's absolutely endless. It's getting on my nerves. You know, this is, I, I'm sit here. When's it I, Sunderland's turn? <laughs> well, Sunderland have had it as well, haven't they, it, it, to an extent. But this is something that grinds my gears and it will always grind my gears that, you know, we, we're coming up to a decade. Well, eight years ago, I nearly lost the team I support. We nearly went extinct, mm. Portsmouth. And I thought that would be a lesson enough to be the first Premier League team to go into administration, a couple of of administrations since then, a number of rogues owning the club, losing everything, including possibly our football club. One point, we only had six players on the books, spiralled all the way down to League Two. And then yet another football club is in this position. And this is the problem we got with ownership. People will criticise Mike Ashley for not spending the money, but in doing so, he's kept Newcastle a solvent football club. When you've seen huge clubs like Rangers, which Ashley also had an involvement with, go bust and have to start again in the Scottish leagues. You know, we've seen yeah. cl- we've seen clubs in monstrous amounts of debt. It just it just blows my brain that we are still allowing football clubs which aren't traditional businesses and they can be run like businesses as we've discussed already today, but they're not traditional businesses because they have a connection to the community. Mm. Now if McDonald's went bust, that would be the biggest news story ever, but Burger King still exists and KFC still exists, but there isn't, you don't support McDonald's, you don't support Burger King, you know, you know, in terms of the options you have, it's ingrained in a culture. I've got a KFC tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) It's ingrained in a culture. Like if West Ham went under Jim, you wouldn't go and support, you wouldn't support Spurs, would you? You just wouldn't do it. (laughs) So it's one of those things where, you know, we are looking at football clubs in a different, through a different lens and we have to. And it's just, it just winds me up that, there are so many people that feel like this all the time. They don't know whether their football club's going to exist. And like what we discussed when the takeover happened last week, all Newcastle fans wanted was to go to St. James's Park and enjoy the football again. And now they've got that back mm-hmm. through a change of ownership. And really, it's as fundamental as that. It's nice to win things. Mm. You know, the game's about glory. I've said it on the podcast before, but geez, you know, how bad must things be that Mike Ashley, who's been lambasted for being a poor owner, yeah, is now the kind of the saviour for Derby is, is baffling really well that's a nice segue in something we're going to talk about next we are going to discuss Rick Parry's plans for the EPL and the idea that Premier League B teams could feature in the lower divisions of the English Football League and we'll do it next we answer your questions on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to answer your questions now. You can always get to us on Twitter at the Sports Social. Search the Sports Social on Facebook, Instagram. Find us there as well. We're all over the place. You can get to us by any social media platform that you choose. I don't think we're on TikTok yet, but that might happen soon. <laughs> we'll, have wait, we'll have to wait and see. We're just getting Marley a short enough pair of shorts <laughs> to be able to do some dances, and then we are bloody in. Up, bloody up now. Right, let's get some questions. Steve the City fan wants to raise the issue of Rick Perry and uh, Rick Parry, sorry, and Premier League B teams. He says, with Rick Parry saying there will be no Premier League B teams in the EFL, mm-hmm. what is the solution for getting promising youngsters a taste of men's first team football? A very Premier League flavoured view of the <laughs> idea of getting a well, B teams the, into the football league. The, so the Rick Perry said it's not happening, basically. Which is great. Yes, I think it's great. I agree. And the word solution indicates that there's a problem. There's not a problem. Well, there is a problem with young players getting first team football yeah. because there's too many players being farmed into these rich clubs just to be sat in the reserve team. And That's guess the problem. whose problem that is? Manchester City's problem. Not exclusively Manchester City. It is City's, Manchester yes. City's problem. Chelsea. It is Chelsea's problem. It is every club that has got too many young players and they don't have the capacity to give them game time. Yeah. That is their fault and no one else's. Do not come and irrigate our football league. I have no interest in my club playing against Manchester City youth because it suits Manchester City. I have no interest in that at all, and nor does any other fan of any other EFL club. It is an absolute nonsense comment that Pep Guardiola made a couple of weeks ago. Respect Pep hugely for what he's done for the game in this country, but him whinging about the lack of B teams and the lack of you know, reserve team structure in this country and they should be playing against Adebayo Akinfemera every week because it's a great education. I don't care about the education of City's young players. And this whole nonsense, this veil, this mask of suggesting that it's better for the England national team, that is absolute codswallop as Mm. well. Because if you look at the England team that reached the Euro final, that reached the World Cup semi-final in the last three or four years, the majority of them have plied their trade in the EFL via a loan deal or they've just been bred and played in the EFL before and then they've been signed by a Premier League club or they've been promoted etc etc so for me there is no issue here there is no problem here if the young players want more game time they either leave Manchester City or Chelsea or United or whatever club it is and then go and experience it on a loan deal or they leave the club on a permanent deal and if City think that they've missed out they sign them back and everyone ridicules Chelsea because they signed yeah. Salah, they signed De Bruyne, they signed these players that they thought weren't good enough at the time, got rid of them, and look at them now, right? And that is an issue that Chelsea has, but it's an issue they have to be content with because you can't farm players and then whinge that they don't get game time. And I know this is not a... a, a this sounds like an attack on um, whoever asked that question. Steve. Poor old Steve. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this sounds like an attack on Steve. I, I do apologise. It's not. It's just more in general of, of the point that's always made. We need to give our young players more game time. Well, go on then. Yeah. Send them out on loan. Don't try and infiltrate the Football League with your stupid ideas about B-team football because it's not going to wash with me or any other fans. I don't like the idea of be Premier League teams in the Football League. However, so here is a flip side to the argument. There is a benefit to having young players coming through the top-level academies. So academies like Manchester City, they have facilities and they have coaches that far outstrip a lot of other teams in the Premier League. The obvious solution to having players not having first-team football, as you kind of suggest, is that you limit the amount of youth players, you limit the amount of young players that a team can kind of hoover up from elsewhere 
But at the same time, you have to balance that by the fact that these players do benefit from developing through these really high-level academies. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you balance that? Because you want the players. Because because I, I can that, this is kind of Pep Guardiola's point that players will develop better at Manchester City with the coaches and the facilities they have compared to maybe being at I don't know Portsmouth. Let's pick your club. So you have to balance that, don't you? But at the same time, these players do need at some point to make that step up and to gain first-team football, which they won't get at Manchester City. What's the problem that Pep Guardiola has to deal with? It's just as mm. simple as that. His job as a manager or a coach is to facilitate the growth of these young players, and he deserves immense credit for how he nurtured Phil Foden, and now Phil Foden's been nominated for a Ballon d'Or. Has he? He has. I missed that. <laughs> he's, he's on the shortlist for the Ballon d'Or. He's on the 30-player shortlist. Long list. Long list. Yeah. It's a very long list. Yeah. Um, And Mason Mount as well uh, from Chelsea. He's on the list. Mm. And so you have to think about these players. And for every Mason Mount and Phil Foden, there will be uh, a Michael Johnson, a player who had all the potential in the world, but falls off the rails, sadly, Mm. and doesn't fulfill his potential. (laughs) Sorry, I thought you meant the sprinter there. I was like, what? No, no, (laughs) not him. But, you know, that's, that's, that's an issue that managers have to deal with. Manchester United have a long-standing history with it. I don't think they've got a problem with it. And I think they're quite ruthless in the sense that if the Manchester United players that aren't going to make it aren't going to make it, they'll just be let go. And mm. that's the ruthless nature of academy football. And, you know, you've spoken to former academy players in the past, Jim, on on our Football mm. Stories podcast on the Sports Social Podcast Network. And, you know, some of the players you've spoken to have mentioned how difficult it is at that period in time. But that's the ruthlessness of the game, unfortunately. And... um you know, it's up to the manager to pick out of the youth players who he thinks is going to have the best impact. But the problem is results are so key now and the pressure is so high. And that's probably why Phil Foden was given such a long time to develop because how much of a risk is it to throw in Phil Foden in in a huge game in which, you know, there has implications, massive implications for Manchester City is a risk, no doubt. But now it isn't because he's kind of developed along the way. And, you know, they've got a striker at City, I think Liam Delap, yeah, yeah. who scored a shed load of goals at Premier League 2 level in the in the under-23 league, in the reserve league, or whatever you want to call it, and uh, not really been given a look in. Even when Manchester City have no strikers, they're playing Ferran Torres through the middle, he's not being given a chance, but he will be. And he'll probably go out on loan, score a load of goals. I mean, they've got a 17-year-old centre-back, Callum Doyle, who's on loan at Sunderland, who by all accounts is having a brilliant time on loan up in the northeast. And, you know, he's, is he going to displace Laporte or Stones in any time soon at 17? Of course he's not. But he gets to go and be on loan at Sunderland and experience 30,000 crowds in League One, play against teams like Portsmouth and Sheffield Wednesday, playing against Akin Fenwa, Wickham Wanderers, teams like that. You know, it's a problem that they'll have to solve themselves, the managers of these Premier League teams, because I have no sympathy for them if they've got too many young players. This issue's come about, Marley. It's been raised by Rick Parry because... There is a negotiation ongoing at the moment. Rick Perry wants to see a centralised pot of money for TV rights across the Football League and the Premier League, and then the Football League then takes 25% of that money. And it's a way of safeguarding futures for clubs that Nile highlighted earlier is a bit of an issue. Across the Football League at the moment, we're seeing more clubs go to the wall. I mean, this is a negotiation, so does that, that doesn't necessarily mean this is off the table. He said it's not on the table for the time being, but could we potentially see a U-turn here? Because the EFL have to give something if they're going to get that bigger pot of money. What? 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 So <laughs> yeah, you what? paying attention. Well, yeah, but like, what? What? What would? He, what do you mean? What do they give back? Like, 
Like what? What of the EFL? If they want more money from yeah. the from the Premier League, they can't just fly a flag going. Well, they're, hey, they're, we're a separate entity. The EFL and the Premier League are two separate things. But that's the point. They want to have a oh, joint so they, negotiation. Well, they want so to. They, they will be. They separate. want. They want to leech off the money, basically. Let's yeah. not forget Rick Parry is the guy who introduced Project Big Picture, which was the precursor to the Super League that yeah. we pulled to pieces on the podcast last season, and he's still got that idea in his box. And he'll whip it out again, trust me. He'll whip that idea out again of Project Big Picture. Mm. And um, it's not going to go away. And even though he says, like you say, B teams aren't on the table for now, they'll come back. That idea will come back. Because the Premier League, especially the big six Premier League in the Premier League, who have all the voting power, those clubs, they they, they dictate, really. Mm. The league is just a facilitator. Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs, as organisations... I would argue, are bigger than the Premier League. Just just by their very nature of yeah. the amount of supporters they've got and the amount of money they can People draw. don't support the Premier League. No, some people do. But, I mean, more so people support those big six clubs that I've mentioned. Mm. And this idea of Project Big Picture, you know, which is, for me, something that I, I couldn't get on board with at the time. I, I think we'll see it come back. And it's always about money. The problem is about money. And the EFL want money to filter down from the top. And... I think the top want to keep a bigger cut for themselves because football's getting more expensive. And we will reach a point where there's, you know, a, a black hole and there'll be an implosion and there'll be a real issue when it comes to, to the funds of Premier League clubs. You know, I'm stunned now that, that Portsmouth are the only team that's gone into administration in the Premier League. Mm. I really am. But then again, you well, know... You the, can't go, it's the TV, right? So I mean, it's TV shares that they get. Yeah. It keeps most clubs afloat, and oh, that's what... A few have gone closer, haven't they? Yeah, yeah they yeah, have. But have, I yeah. mean, we see this argument all the time. People saying that Norwich are a disgrace. Now, I saw someone on the radio the other day suggest that the Premier League should be cut to 18 teams because Norwich aren't competitive enough. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, well, they, they're not competitive enough because they're not spending the money, but fine, yeah, they're going to they... get wiped to pieces in the league this year, but at least they're on sound footing and they have no risk of losing their mm. football club. Yeah, they've got the, the 20th... Of twenty richest owner in the in the league, yeah. and they 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 mainly um, promote youth. You know, look at the, their back four. Last time they were in the Premier League was Godfrey, Aaron's, mm-hmm. um, Jamal Lewis, and I forget who the, I think fourth centre back was. It might, I think it was Tim Closer or someone. Yeah, so yeah. signed in for pennies, and the other three are youth academy players yeah, that have that... all gone out and and made made them forty million. And Max Aaron's will make them another yeah. twenty five million when they go down this summer. And now it's Possibly similar come to as well. Newcastle in January. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, because they've got it. they've got Williams on loan from United as well at exactly. the moment at Norwich. So it's, yeah, it's a great it's, point. It's penny pinch. It's scrimping and and yeah. wheeling and dealing. And but that's how they have to survive. So you know, not every team can be like um, the top clubs who go out and sign everybody from far corners of the world. You know, there's different mm-hmm. levels to the Premier League and stuff like that. So everyone runs differently. So. You know, you can't really like say, "Oh, Norwich aren't competitive enough." Well, Norwich are living within their means. If Norwich went and spent forty million quid on a winger, you know that could that could uh, put them in serious financial trouble in five years' time. That's mm-hmm. that's bad business. That's it's, where it's just... that's the that's the relationship between business and reality. Like mm-hmm. you know, we slagged Mike Ashley before because he didn't he he was too far to the business side. Um, but you have to have that balance, right? Mm-hmm. And to you know, I mean, sound like Steve Ruth, you have to get the balance right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. And I think this is the, the frustration within football and the discourse around ownership. It's it's so hypocritical to the point where Norwich aren't spending money. They're a disgrace. They're not competitive enough. They need to spend money. Norwich spent 40 million three times over three windows. 
go into debt, into administration, everyone points a finger and goes, oh, they should never have spent that money. That's stupid. Mm. It's just how you can't win. And there's no guarantee. You can't Spending win. money brings you success. Look at Fulham. We've come down, come up twice in the last four years, spent a load of money and gone straight back down again with a whimper. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, what? That's no good. You're yeah. just wiping out your parachute payments by spending them before you get them. So, yeah, it's what every fan wants. You can't sing on the terraces about a really nice looking balance sheet in your bank account, <laughs> can you? It just it doesn't rhyme for a start. It's not <laughs> it's not a great song. Uh, Steve, I think that is a full enough answer for your questions. So thank Cheers you very for much question, for getting Steve. in touch. All right, we're going to do a couple more of your questions next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Going to wrap up with a couple more of your questions. Get in touch via social media at The Sport Social. You can find all the details on the website, sport-social.co.uk, as well as links to a load of other brilliant podcasts on the Sport Social Podcast Network and the latest news on your Premier League team. But we're going to get another question now from Pete the Pirate. (laughs) Whether he's an actual pirate or not, I don't know. He might be a Bristol Rovers fan. Isn't the guy off dodgeball? Wasn't he the pirate? He was called Pete the Pirate. I don't know. I it, was on last, it, was, was it? it was on last <laughs> Is night. Is that why it's in your head? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Pete the Pirate says, who may or may not be in dodgeball. I've heard that Arsenal want to re-sign the Ox. Does going back ever work? It's an interesting one. Because it, it's kind of accepted advice that you don't go back to the club where you were a hero. <laughs> I've just Googled Pete the Pirate and it's come up with uh, Pete Wicks from The Only Way is Essex. So it's quite an apt question about going back for someone who used to be on The Only Way is Essex. <laughs> Maybe you should answer the question for us, Pete. I mean, Ronaldo, I suppose, would be a good case of somewhere where it appears to be working at the moment, but there's a little bit more wow. of that story to pan out. And that is the first time Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has ever been compared to Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Oxlade-Chamberlain, I remember him being linked with West Ham a couple of windows again ago, and I quite fancied him coming to West Ham. If you put the injury aspects mm. aside, but he is one of those players that is prone he's, to injury. Do you think he could do a job for a Premier League team somewhere? He's just Lingard, isn't he? That's why he's one of those players. <laughs> he's at a top club and he isn't getting games. So West Ham are like, oh yeah, mm. fancy a bit of him. Um, I don't know. I mean, Chamberlain, what was it? 13 games last season. One goal, one assist. Had plenty of injuries. He looked all right once he came back into the side, didn't he? He came mm. back from that long-term injury and he had a few yeah. decent performances for Liverpool. So 1920, when they won the Premier League, he played 30 games, four goals, one assist. Um, I think he plays in more of a central role, doesn't he? Mm. But if you take that season aside, he's played 17 games in the three seasons around that title-winning campaign. He's not played enough games, really. In the Premier League, this is. Mm. I just think that... You know, it's the same thing. It's not quite to the extent of, but remember we discussed before about Phil Jones and about how, you know, he's at a big club on decent money. He's under contract and, you know, would anyone buy him? Probably not because of his injury record. And I just wonder whether Chamberlain is kind of swaying towards that sort of territory where is the juice worth the squeeze? Mm -hmm. Because I think he's a decent player, Oxo Chamberlain. But if you're only going to get... 15 games out of him in three seasons. Is it really worth it? That's got a touch of the Wiltshire's about it, hasn't it? Yeah. Mm. I, don't, I don't think it's a bad move for him if he can get it back to Arsenal. But again, it's just everything comes back to his fitness. Like if he can stay fit for 30 games, he's definitely worth it. Um, I think he's a good enough player. Definitely gets in Arsenal's team. Um, probably gets in the centre midfield three if they're playing 4-3-3 or 
Um, not really sure where he fits into a four-two-three-one in the as, as they're playing at the minute, sort of behind a number ten. I'm not really sure if he's like combative enough to to do that. But again, we've not really seen him play football for two years, really. Seen him off and on and in the Champions League and things like that. So, um, but we don't really know what he's like anymore. Um, no. But my my gut feeling is when he's played for Liverpool, he has looked pretty good. Um, but then he, you know, he gets injured, and he's, you he's, know, recently he's, you know, his girlfriend's just had a baby, aren't she? Uh, her in Little Mix, and mm-hmm. you know, she's from the northeast. Do you want to move to Newcastle? Um, do you want to move to London when all her family are in the northeast in Newcastle? So, you know, he was linked with Newcastle for um, a loan move, a loan move in the summer, and I thought that's kind of fits his life as well as his career. Um, yeah. But and, it, and Curtis it Jones never happens, is, and yeah, yeah. Too much competition at Liverpool anyway, so I think he does need to leave. Curtis Jones getting in ahead of him. I've just looked there. I didn't realise that Liverpool paid £35 million for Oxlade-Chamberlain from Arsenal. Um, But to be fair, he has won a league in the Champions League. It's not bad, really, to be fair. Um, And obviously, they must have played together at Arsenal, Arteta and Chamberlain, um, when Arteta was there. I think that there was a would have been a small crossover. Yeah, yeah, would have. So I definitely think that there's there's a there's a chance of it happening. Mm. It wouldn't be the the most surprise move in January, would it? Let's let's face it. If Oxlade goes back to Arsenal, yeah, it's just that's hard. going to be Mbappe coming to Newcastle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hard to know what Arsenal need it or what they're looking for. It doesn't for. really fit in with their strategy that we've seen. Like this transfer window that was just gone, 140 million quid or whatever, all on players under the age of 24. They are a team that at the moment their vision is investing in the future mm-hmm. rather than bringing in tried and tested. It doesn't really make sense to me that Arteta would make that change to his strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. But then again, I mean, what is Arteta's strategy? Arteta's strategy at the moment just has to be to win more games. I don't, I don't think it matters how it comes. I think it has to be to win more games. And they've got a good platform now. After that North London derby win, that was huge for them. To score three inside 35 minutes, that was big. Mm. And, you know, if they can use that moving forward to to greater success, I think that will help. But, I mean, what's Arteta been there now for? 18 months? And it's hard to see. We said when he first came in, we can see the green shoots of what he's trying to do in terms of the style of play and stuff. But it hasn't really felt like it's progressed any further from there. It's felt like it's kind of stuck in slow motion, kind of treading water a little bit. And maybe it just needs that one player like Oxlade-Chamberlain to come in and do a few special things, like what happened with Lingard at West Ham, where West Ham were doing well, Lingard came in, and that was kind of the extra propellant to get them um, you know, up the table. So maybe that's what Arsenal needs, someone to come in, a bit of a feel-good factor, a player who knows the club, someone who can slot in quite comfortably, knows the surroundings, knows what's expected of him by his manager. Maybe that is what Arsenal need to kind of to kick on again. Right, let's move on. One more question. This is from Louise. Uh, a couple of questions, actually. We've had this from Treasure as well. So Louise says, can you explain to me how the Mbappe goal in the Nations League was onside, please? <laughs> uh, Treasure says, what are your thoughts on the kind of goal that Mbappe scored last night? Is it fair that Mbappe is no longer offside because of a negligible touch from Eric Garcia? Should the rule be changed? Now, I saw the stills of this. I didn't watch the game, the Nations League final, France versus Spain. I didn't watch the game live. I saw the social media post because everyone was posting the same picture of Mbappe clearly offside, but saying, well, it was revealed as it was announced it was on, decided it was onside. That's the word I'm looking for. And I was convinced that the reason that it was given onside was because 
it was kind of a later frame, if you like, and the ball had actually come off the, I don't know who played the pass, but had played, come off the Parsi's foot earlier and then <laughs> Mbappe is just so f- fast <laughs> that he'd managed to break the trap. That wasn't the case. So, Marley, yeah. why wasn't it offside? Two two reasons. First reason was that, um, as I wrote on the Sports Social Twitter last night, the entire referee and officiating team was English. So they don't know what to do when it comes to VR. <laughs> um, the, Anthony Taylor was in charge. I think um, there was a, I think Martin Atkinson was on VAR or something like that. And they've just made a pig's ear of it. They've They've done what English officials do and they overthink it. And they think, well, he's tried to play the ball and he's got a touch on it, as in Eric Garcia. Um, and therefore, he's, it's a second phase of play and he's not offside. But there's no logic applied to it. As we see week in, week out in the Premier League, there's no logic applied to this. And you've got to ask why Eric Garcia tried to play the ball. Why did he try and intercept it? Because Mbappe is behind him, and as you mentioned, he's very fast. It's instinctive, he, isn't it? Yeah, and he's trying to stop Mbappe getting the ball. So he's 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 got his foot on it. He's he's um not got control of the ball. He's deflected it basically. Mbappe is he's slid as well. So then Mbappe obviously overtakes him, gets the ball, puts it in the net, and it's two one to France. But he's tried to play that ball because he's scared of Mbappe, and Mbappe is in a offside position. Therefore, the goal shouldn't count because he's interfered with play, because he's he's because he's a threat. He's trying to stop him getting the ball, but he's offside. So you don't need to stop him getting the ball because he's offside. But Eric Garcia doesn't know he's offside because he's behind him. So the whole thing makes no sense that he's been given as onside because he's he's gained an advantage from being yes. in an offside position yeah. by being that half yard quicker. So that's the key for me. It's that word. It's gaining an advantage because I think we can talk about all the fine margins and you know put everything under a microscope and look at how slight the touch was and all that sort of thing. Is Mbappe gaining an advantage by being in that position? Yes, he is. Yeah, It takes a touch off the Spain player, and it's poor from Garcia. You have to say that. Um, but even Mbappe, when he puts the ball in the net, looks over over his shoulder at the assistant for a good three or four seconds. I think he couldn't really complain if the, if the goal was chalked off for offside. I don't think he would have been too shocked himself, yeah. the player who scored it. But Mbappe is gaining an advantage from being ahead of play. He doesn't need to be because he's so quick. He probably would have got there anyway. Mm. But no, The pass should have came sooner for him, the to pass, be fair. The pass should have came if sooner. The, if there's 30 yards in between you know, your back line and your goalie, Mbappe's winning that race. It doesn't matter who he's... You could put him red rum up against him, yeah. he'd, he'd beat him. So what, that, what's happening, the... though, is you're punishing the defender. You're punishing the defender twofold. One for yeah. making the mistake. One for mm. trying to defend. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's not exactly. going to leave it, is he? No. <laughs> and, and two... Because it takes a slight touch off of him, Mbappe's therefore not offside. So Mbappe could just stand on the edge of the box, 20 yards away, waiting for a touch, and it wouldn't be offside. Of course he'd be offside, because he's gaining an advantage from well, being in an offside position. Well, in that so case, like the rule if, doesn't work. So that's exactly, basically, yeah. there is no scenario, because if a player is in an offside position, no matter what phase of play it's in, whether it's mm. come off a defender or not... I think it's always going to be an advantage. I think it's a tricky one. Because Unless they have no role in the... What? actual move well as Marley says Garcia doesn't know that Mbappe's there and whether that's poor awareness from Garcia or unfair from Mbappe for want of a better expression then that's that's up for debate and I think that like a lot of these these decisions we talk about VAR is it doesn't matter VAR doesn't really matter whether you got VAR or not because if the decision can be construed in more than one way you're going to get more than one outcome Mm. depending on who's 
the refereeing team on the day. Mm. I think it's 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 black and white that decision. You know, is he offside when the ball is played? Yes. Simple offside. So the answer doesn't matter about phases and all that stuff. It's if Garcia controls it, off. turns around, passes the ball back to his keeper, and it's a short back pass, I think that's something different. Yeah. But so, he's barely, he barely touches the ball. But then you're getting into the grey area of how much of a touch of the ball do you need before it's offside. And it's just ridiculous. It's just so ridiculous. So I think it, we can boil it down to the bare bones of, is Mbappe gaining an advantage by standing offside? Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Right, so the answer to your question, Louise, is how is Mbappe onside? Is he wasn't. <laughs> they just got it wrong. Uh, the other big issue to come out of the final stage of the Nation League was Thibaut Courtois who was very critical of the match scheduling after his team lost in the second-place playoff game Courtois <laughs> Third-place well, playoff. Third-place, sorry, yeah. <laughs> he described the games, or his game particularly, as pointless and has accused the governing bodies around the Nations League of only caring about money rather than about player welfare. Does he have a point, Niall? Yeah, I, I don't know. Player... Player welfare is is important and I think it's a discussion that we've spoken about before and it needs to come up on a regular basis because you know if we don't look after the players, the game isn't going to be as exciting to watch and it isn't going to be as fun to follow and I think that's kind of part of it. Um, you know, we mentioned about Terry Butcher last week and about his concerns about dementia from heading the ball and Gary Pallister, who used to play for Manchester United and England as also come out this week in an interview with the Sunday Telegraph, I believe, and mentioned how he fears possibly having a degenerative uh, brain problem when he gets older. Um, And he mentioned about how he suffered migraines and things like that. So, you know, in terms of what Courtois is saying, looking after the players, that's not just exclusive to the amount of matches they're playing and the tiredness and the fatigue they're feeling, but also the other things that go around it with, you know, like I was saying, with the dementia and the heading the ball and, you know, legendary players who, you know, who might be at greater risk of brain injury. And I know the game has moved on, technology has moved on, the footballs are different and all of that sort of thing. Mm. But I do agree with Courtois in this instance. Now, I don't normally agree with managers when they're, they're complaining that there's too many games. You know, part of being a successful football team is that you're in every competition and you play a lot of games. You know, I remember Pep Guardiola complaining about it, saying there was too many games for his team and it was it was too full on. Well, if, if you weren't so good... You wouldn't be in four competitions, would you? And, you know, it was also talking about, the press were talking about how amazing it could be if Manchester City win possibly a quadruple. I think they did win four trophies that season, if you include the Community Shield. But, you know, to win that many trophies, as the saying goes, you've got to be in it to win it. Mm. You can't win it just, oh, we'll only play when we feel like it. Uh, it, It's unfortunate. And Jurgen Klopp's moaned about it as well in the past. I think there was... The incident of the Club World Cup in Qatar, where the first team had a Club World Cup game, but the Carabao Cup quarterfinal was on. So they had to play a team of kids um, against Aston Villa in in a cup game. And I remember that. And I do think it is getting a little bit ridiculous now. But I think what Courtois said about UEFA and FIFA only caring about lining their pockets, I think that's an important point to make in the sense of he was speaking after the Nations League third place playoff. Do you really need a third place playoff for the Nations League? You probably don't. But in terms, it's a of, game that's but, unnecessary. But they want to it? establish the Nations League as a serious competition, which they is want... going to take years. I think it's been quite good. I quite like the Nations League. But by ha- by having that third place playoff, that give, that almost adds to the no one cares, doesn't it? No, I I, I know that. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't where care did about Eng- the Nations League final or the 
Where did place. England finish in the World Cup no, in 2018? Oh. You can't remember, can you? We got knocked <laughs> out in the semi-final by Croatia. That's was, all anyone cares about. There was a third place player, was there? Yeah, there was. was we lost there? to Belgium. Oh, England yeah, finished yeah. fourth in the World Cup. What Phil, does that mean? That, Jones it that it means nothing. Finishing third or fourth in the World Cup means nothing. Mm. If it was the Olympics where there's a bronze medal at stake... I understand why they do the bronze medal match in oh, the Olympics well, we because there's a medal. A bronze medal then. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you well, know, introduce bronze medals, you'll be right. Introduce bronze medals and <laughs> you'll be all right. Yeah, because like you say, there's no real point to that game. And I think Courtois was a bit frustrated by the point. He's thinking, I'm playing another game. And I think playing for your country is But he should have been playing two games anyway because if he hadn't yeah. been in the Nations League, they would have been playing two qualifiers. Exactly. That, that was what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, so... Also, you're the first choice goalie of Belgium. If you don't want to play in the game and you think it's pointless, then surely, you know, you've got two other goalies in the squad and say to the manager, you know, Martinez, do you not want to play one of the other goalies? I don't mind staying out here because you've got, I think Mignolet is the backup goalie and Matt Sells might be third if I'm if I'm not I'm not sure anymore. But he's um, basically, you don't have to play that game if you're the first choice goalie because you play it all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could easily say, you know, oh, I've got a bit of a bit of a thigh strain, Oof, you know. You could fake an injury. You could you could say, um, you could say anything. Get out of that game, or you know, if if you if you don't want to play that game, then talk to your manager. That's that's fine. But you know, on on the whole thing, I just think I, I like the Nations League. <laughs> I mm. do quite like it. I, I struggle to remember what stage we're at um, a lot, but in terms of competitive games, there's there's a lot of them, and they're much more even. Like I'd rather sit through. San Marino against Liechtenstein, then San Marino against Portugal, and watch them get just about you know twelve nil. You know what I mean? It's it's um it's more competitive. It's mm. just it's it's a better watch. Um, it's just the only people the only reason why people don't like it is because it happens during the season, and people think oh, I'd rather watch my club than my country, and mm-hmm. that that's fine. But also, you would rather I would rather have some sort of competitive game than a bunch of friendlies. Because you don't learn anything from friendlies, and there's nothing at the end of it. So, I I'm I quite like the Nations League, and I think it should yeah. stay. We are looking at sixty Might game need a bit seasons, tweaking, but never mind. Yeah, we are looking at sixty game seasons now for successful Premier League teams. You go far in the Champions League and far in the Cups, like City, for example. You're looking at a sixty game season, and that's mm. just domestic. That doesn't include a, like a tournament. Like mm. Belgium, well, Belgium at, didn't have Hazard or Lukaku because of muscle problems. Yeah, right. If if Lukaku goes on international duty, right, and pings a hamstring, Hazard in, in pulled hamstring, pulled yeah. hamstring shocker. Yeah, <laughs> but if if Lukaku goes to international duty, well, Varney got injured last night for France, didn't he? So Manchester United are going to be without him for the weekend's games now, probably, and Harry Maguire. So you can see how it does cause issues yeah. for teams. Yeah, precisely. I mean, how fuming would you be if you were Thomas Tuchel? If Lukaku comes back with a pinged hamstring because he was playing in a third place playoff for the Nations League. Mm. I mean, Courtois used the word pointless. And it's not often I get on board with these debates about there being too many games because there's always been this many games, really. You know, the League Cup, the FA Cup, Champions League, Europa League. It's the same as it's been for 20 years. I don't get the argument now. But... I do, I do side with him on this. I think it was pointless. I've got to say, though, I don't think he's making that statement if Belgium win. Maybe mm, not. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe. I mean, I, I think, he loves yeah. a moan, though, Courtois. Don't he? He's he never does. happy. He never seems happy. He's just, you know, Chelsea <laughs> were winning things and he, he was there. Oh, I want to go to Real Madrid. Oh, I don't like it. it's real. <laughs> he was at Atletico oh, winning things on loan out. from Chelsea and he went, if you don't get rid of Petr Cech, I'm off. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of forced it, forced Chelsea to ditch he does, Cech. He does seem like. Uh, 
just someone it's never going to be right for him he'll find, he'll find something you know he could live in a house made of gold he'd be like it's too cold like you know he'd just be he just he is one of them characters but maybe he does raise a point it depends on where you're coming from um, we might never understand it because we're never going to be professional footballers but you know speak for um, yourself well, yeah. well, I, 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 I'm only 42 still hey, time I had a contract you're 42 I thought you were 45 <laughs> really yeah. wow I'm getting mixed up I don't know you could have played for Andorra the other night Jim oh that was a that was the funniest part of the would have had the, the same result trying to chase uh, that was the <laughs> funniest thing I've James seen this Sanchez. weekend when that fella who looked like he just couldn't run and it was like he's not going to try and chase Chelsea Sancho, and he was running as fast as he could. And then ping! Did you see the tweet and, he did after? Oh, yeah, the tweet did, was brilliant. He did a couple, yeah, yeah, well funny. Yeah, poor he, lad, Ildefons Lima, mate. Someone Hope went. You've got good healthcare. Yeah. Someone said, "Oh, but uh, Sancho was dispossessed after he uh, made you ping your hamstring," and he, he just responded, "Yeah, Sancho lost the ball, but I lost my hamstring," <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was good. <laughs> And we'll leave it there. I'm still reeling from being told I'm 45. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're going to have a little chat. Uh, That is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you click subscribe. We'll give you another episode tomorrow getting back into Premier League action this weekend as well. We'll have all the previews, all the news building up to a weekend of Premier League action as the week progresses. And no doubt, more news on who the next manager of Newcastle United will be very soon as well. This is Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.